it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Sports by Northwest. I'm Bill Oram, sports columnist at the Oregonian Oregon Live. Post-NBA All-Star break edition, uh, snowpocalypse edition. If you're anything like me, you're stuck at home and you are uh, head to toe in thermal underwear. Our current guest, our new guest, this week's guest, is not wearing thermal underwear, or at least not that we know of. It is Sam Amick senior NBA writer at The Athletic, host of The Tampering Podcast, and my very, very good friend, Sam. How are you? Hello, William. Great to be here with you. We're getting really personal here at the top. You're, you're going straight to the undergarments. Uh, no thermal underwear um, for the folks who might only listen to the pod and not be on YouTube. Uh, you should go on YouTube because Bill looks like that guy from Frozen <laughs> with the little shack in the middle of nowhere who... <laughs> You know, is uh, yes, it's quite a look, buddy. I'm so happy that you're leaning into your north northwest life. Um, but it's good to be with you. Well, I came, I came inside from being outside sledding with my kids, and got a little campfire going because we haven't left the house in three days. And there you go. So I'm just, I'm just leaning all the way in to that. It's like you know, my my kids are upstairs watching Frozen right now, and I feel like we're in Frozen. Like somebody needs to dispatch a, a party to go tell Elsa <laughs> to like to lift the freeze, the the eternal freeze that has suddenly descended on Portland, Oregon. Yes, midst of a blowout. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Sam, by the way, before we get to basketball, you're here to talk to us about about the Blazers, the NBA, the NBA All Star Game, which you and I are both at. But I also do have to acknowledge, uh, not under wear but your outerwear right now i make jokes about this turning in make jokes about this turning into a big sky conference podcast we've had randy ray the former weber state basketball coach uh, bruce barnum the portland state football coach and now sam amick who loves to troll me about sacramento state's sudden and surprising rise in the football championship subdivision to uh beat my Montana Grizzlies the last two times although i'm pretty sure that that's going to even itself back out with you with your coach troy taylor going to stanford Hey, they still got, you know, good coaching behind Troy. Some of his old guys stayed on board. They did lose some talent. Uh, you know, Cameron Scadaboo, I think, heading off to Arizona State. So that was disappointing. Not a big fan of the transfer window because of that departure. But, uh, you know, listen, my bar as an alum is very low, as you know, based on the history of the program. So we take our W's where we can get them. We'll see how next year goes. And I should also note that the new head coach at Sacramento State is Andy Thompson, who is a former Montana Grizzly. So I think he's there to sort of uh, commit some acts of like small college football espionage on behalf of the Montana Grizzlies. No, no. See, we just we respect your program and we knew where to find the best people. And that's that's what you do. You keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And that's going to be the ticket. Uh, Bobby Fresca is another coach who is working 
with Andy, uh, you know, and a guy who uh, has got a great resume and, and learned under Troy for a lot of years. So, so I'm confident, man. We're going to be having battles. Look forward to those. Um, Sam, this is uh, inevitably going to come back to the NBA and the Blazers. Uh, last night, you went to Kings Blazers at uh, at, not, at whatever is not Arco Arena. Golden um, One Center. Gold, Golden One Center. Um, Correct. And I, I just have to ask, because the Blazers had their own travel adventures and their own snowed-in adventures, what was it like? being around that, that team and seeing them after, you know, basically being stranded in Portland for 24 hours and getting in just a few hours before tip off, which is not, you is certainly not the travel norm in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, admittedly, Bill, I, I wasn't as close to them as I might have been on some other nights as it relates to talking to guys and getting in the weeds. Uh, it was a casual night at the arena for me. I, I went to the game, you know, mostly spent time in the press room, did talk to, you know, Blazers PR, as you know, Rasan Gathers, you mm-hmm. know, formerly of the Kings, caught up a little bit, got a little taste of their travel adventures, obviously saw the social media stuff, uh, you know, and, and as travel veterans ourselves, um, I will say that, I mean, seven hours on a plane, like that's pretty legit. I don't know that I've ever actually stayed on the bird for seven hours. Uh, and then some of the reporting that was out there about the exact timing you know, needless to say, they came, you know, to that game dragging and then but but before the game on the Kings side in the local community side, because, as you know, they're on the edge of their seats trying to get in the playoffs. There was a lot of conversation about how, oh, boy, this is quickly becoming a trap game because it's no Dame, no Jeremy Grant, you know, and, and there is a reality in the NBA that. You know, it's not cliche. It's true that you mm-hmm. say that every single player in the NBA is very, very talented. This is the best of the best, all the way to the 450th player. The point being that you know, on nights like last night, where guys that typically don't get to play know that they're going to have an open runway (pun intended) because I'm with the pun master. Um, then, like, you got to be careful. And yep. so the Kings go down, I think, 19 to four. Yep. Um, People are panicking in the press room, like, oh, the playoffs are gonna fall apart, you know. And and they they find their way. But the mood, you know, I mean, listen, I'm sure they were tired, but but they got a bunch of young guys on that team too. So I'm curious, Sam, like big picture with with the Blazers, you know, they're kind of right on that cusp of like, you know, being in the mix for the play-in. They started the season really hot. You know, they looked like a playoff team early on, but they were also benefiting from a lot of you know, a lot of uh, good fortune, right? Game winners on the road and things like that to kind of boost that that record. And they've kind of regressed toward the mean, which is, you know, closer to 500. Um, do you view this as this team? Like, you know, there are teams where it's like getting in the play-in is a real step forward. Um, and then there are teams where, you know, there's really no incentive to get to the play-in. The Blazers have an interesting situation with draft picks, which we can lay out. But I'm just curious, as you look at the Blazers and you think about like their kind of needle, like how badly do you think they either do or should want to get in that play in um, with all the factors kind of around them at this point? Um, I, I, you know, I feel like the negative Nancy right at the top here, as far as how I see their, their station in the league right now, I don't see the meaningfulness of getting in um, for them. And that, you know, in a roundabout way, that is my attempt to show Damien respect more than anybody else is like, considering what he's accomplished, considering where they've been in the past. Um, and really, because they just played the Kings, it's a pretty interesting contrast. Like, it is one thing when a franchise has not been to the playoff 
playoffs since 2006. You know, you mm-hmm. can understand, you know, why that would be deemed a successful season to get into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But the Blazers, they got to be shooting bigger. And not only because Dame is one of the best players in the league, but because he's not a young man. And I know he gets tired of hearing about that narrative, uh, but I, you know, I don't know what to say. Like, it's just the truth. And so, mm-hmm. you know, yippee, we got in the play-in. Yippee, we even got in the playoffs. I mean, sure, it's it's good for the Shaden Sharps of the world and and Simons and guys who needed some of that experience. Uh, there is value to that. So it would be better than missing out. But um, I, because I've covered Dame's whole career and I've and I've seen him, you know, rip teams' hearts out with his clutch play and and be on that stage. I just I have a very hard time, uh, you know, having you know the needle move if that makes sense for something like that. So when we get into like. Um things like draft pick uh, impact, you know, the Blazers owe their first round pick to Chicago if they do make the playoffs, which is a pick they actually want to convey uh, given kind of their stated intention to go big and to kind of push all their chips in as Joe Cronin, their general manager has said to like, go get, you know, high end talent next to Damian Lillard. They need to be able to trade future draft picks. That's what moves the needle in the NBA. And because of the protections on that bulls pick, they can't, they can't, um, they can't trade futures while that pick is sort of tied up. And so um, one way or another, I think that's going to get, that's going to get resolved one way or another. If they, if they make the playoffs, they trade that pick to Chicago, they have the pick that they got from the Knicks, and then they can go back to operating starting July 1st, or you miss the playoffs, you have a lottery pick. And so you're not conveying that pick to the, to the, to the bulls, but now you have this first round pick that you got from the Knicks in the trade for Josh Hart. Can you go to the bulls with that pick and say, Hey, we'll trade you this this pick and maybe a second round pick to get off the protections on the other pick. Um, so there's things that can be done there. So I actually don't think that making the playoffs, missing the playoffs is necessarily that impactful for the Blazers in terms of what it means for their ability to negotiate in the future. I think that there are mechanisms to kind of solve that problem both ways. Um, and then a lottery pick in a deep draft just has some value. So I'm kind of with you. I'm not sensing the urgency to get in the playoffs, except for the fact that last year was a, uh, an injury ridden year, Damian Lillard missed you know more than half the season. Um, you know, did not play in 2022 until the season opener in Sacramento. Um, you know, so for him, there's kind of a, a, a spinning of the wheels, I guess, for a second straight year, which leads me to the next piece of this. Um, you know, we talk, and you said Dame gets tired of the narrative, but we talk about this all the time. And if we're not talking about it, other people are talking about it. You know, is Dame happy? Um, you know, and when you talk to people around the league, um, not trying to not trying to you know read the tea leaves on whether Damian is happy or not, but when people look around the league, is there an acceptance that Damian is just not going to want out of Portland, or do you think that people still think that there might be a a point where he hits the exit button? Because like, that conversation isn't going away. No, it's not. It's not. And I mean, never say never would be my short answer. Um, you know, and I've said this before too, as far as trying to at least pay attention to whatever breadcrumbs might be out there in terms of how he thinks we shouldn't forget. And this is your, your past life as a Lakers beat writer. We should not forget that now two summers ago, uh, you know, he engages with LeBron James in LA. Uh, LeBron invites him to his house to talk about the prospect of Dame partnering up with LeBron and AD. Now, you know, just because you have a cup of coffee with somebody doesn't mean you're ready to get married, but he did, take that meeting, so to speak. And I, I've always found that at least a little bit illuminating about where his head was at, at least at that time. Since then, trying to read him 
you know, I've seen nothing but a, a pretty consistent messaging about him staying put and, and really kind of leaning even more into the idea that I'm going to just do what I can do where I am. And I'm so embedded in this community with this franchise. And as you know, cause you know, you covered some of this stuff and, and it's part of the Portland story. Now you also have, you know, the regime change from Neil O'Shea to Joe Cronin, everything within there, where it seemed like in terms of the star player, having some agency on the way that a place is going to function. I think he would probably agree that, that the Blazers did check that box. And so as far as comfort level, uh, relationship with Jody Allen, you know, the, the max extension they got done, you know, there have been some potential hurdles that might've compelled him to go ahead and, and put his hand up in the air and say, all right, it's fine. Let me be the next star player to head out of town. And, you know, but they have gotten over those hurdles. And now it's just a question of, for me, how quickly can they build something real and something, you know, somewhat elite and substantive um, because of his age. And even right now, if you look at his season in a vacuum, you know, you can make an argument. It is without question. It's one of his best seasons ever. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, and in certain categories might be his best. And it's unfortunate. Again, this stuff I know he gets tired of hearing about. And and he's been a little defensive recently on social media where folks, you know, give him a hard time for staying in Portland. Um, it, it's like Kevin Durant going to Phoenix. This is a, a, a parallel I'll make. I was happy, which is not, as you know, not normally an emotion that a reporter shares. Like, I have no problem admitting, like, Kevin's a, an incredible talent. I would rather see that talent featured on a big-time playoff stage. And yeah. I feel the same way about Dame. It doesn't mean I, I criticize him for staying. It just means that for his sake, and, and you know, and by extension, Blazer fans, yeah. uh, I would love to see them get back to that level. Because this basketball right now, this is probably a hard time of year for him. Like, all of a sudden... I mean, I hear you that they're pushing for the playoff spot, but for all intents and purposes, nationally, nobody cares about Blazers basketball right now. And and I'm curious too, not to throw it back at you, but if, if you have any insight here, you know, even the game in Sacramento, I, I understand that it was a rigorous night of travel. I was a little surprised that that Dame and Jeremy didn't play. Yeah, uh, you know, I, th I found that a little strange. And and to see, you know, Dame just kind of down there chilling and, and cheering his guys on kind of spoke to like I, I guess that's where we are now you know the season's almost over and there's not a lot to play for yeah I mean it, it, it certainly there, I think there are two ways you can look at it but you know I mean obviously if, if they weren't getting home until like one and then they're flying out and not getting to the arena to go through their normal routine there is like there is perhaps logic to saying we're going to shut it down with you guys for this night except for the fact you're 26 games or 24 games away from the postseason and as of last night as Bill Simmons pointed out on Twitter um, they were one game out of, you know, out of six in the loss column. So, I mean, there is, it's not like this is slipping away from them, at least mathematically, where they they couldn't make a run. Now, I think you can kind of look yeah. at who else is in the mix. You know, the Lakers just got a lot better. OKC seems to be going for it. OKC has a lot of, I think, I don't think OKC has any reason not to go for it at this point. Um, you know, Golden State's, you know, presumably going to find its way in one way or another. So, I mean, just the kind of the, the obstacles when you look at, you know, where teams are, like who, who are the Blazers going to jump feels a little unlikely, but the math is there. And to be sort of casual about, you know, something like, you know, we're not going to play these guys because they got two hours less sleep or because, you know, they didn't get to go through their normal morning stretch. You know, if this was, you know, that feel that I, I feel you, it feels like a little bit more like, you know, convenient cover for a team that is, you know, 
feeling kind of casual about well, the and, and this is you and I just spent a lot of time together in Salt Lake City. So admittedly, I'm a little cranky coming off of All Star Weekend when it comes to all things load management. Yeah. Because there was part of me watching that game going, all right, well, I don't care what logic you have, unless you tell us there's a specific injury that that is getting rest and needs rest. Yep. You know, all those other guys who were out on the court were on the plane as well. And, you know, you look out in the crowd and there's all kinds of, of Lillard jerseys, you know, people mm-hmm. coming to Sacramento. And and how many times do we see this story, yeah. you know, where guys just seem to decide that it's it's not a priority. And I right. can't speak for why the choices that were made were made, but I, I did find it curious. So let's talk. You said, you know, if they can if they can get better fast or however you worded sort of their their intentions to build this team around around Damian. Um Let's break it down. So let's assume they extend Jeremy Grant or resign Jeremy Grant as you know, they, they seem to be very confident they will. Um, Jeremy hasn't necessarily said one way or the other, but Damien has said, hey, we did not bring him here for this to be a one-year thing. So there seems to be an understanding. If they right. resign Jeremy Grant, and I'm going to just assume they miss the, the, the playoffs and they have a lottery pick that then does not convey to Chicago, but that they figure out how to get the protections removed from that pick. They would then go into the draft. They would make a selection with their lottery pick. And then starting July 1st, they would have available to trade their 24, 26, 28, 30 first round picks. That's four firsts plus a recent lottery pick. Plus you could throw in three swaps and then they have some seconds. And then they have Anthony Simon, Shaden Sharp, you know, whatever young talent they, you know, you might, you might like if somebody really like Jabari Walker, for example, but I mean, Shaden Sharp and Anthony Simons are, are the two. Um, does that package hit you as enough to be playing in the deep end of the pool with the big boys. When you look at like the, the deal that just got done for Kevin Durant was five firsts, but also was Mikhail Bridges, who's a borderline all-star and cam cam Johnson, who has you know a ton of upside, um, you know, and not to mention Jay Crowder, who then nets an additional five seconds. Like when I describe kind of what the Blazers package looks like, do you see that as, um, does does that feel like that puts them in position to make the kind of move that it would take to um, really take that step? And if so, I mean, you look around the league, who are those guys who might become available where they could, you know, go go fishing? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not bad. You know what I mean? It's not Kevin Durant type of package. Um, but to to lay it out the way you did, I think that's very legitimate, and that's kind of a second tier package. And and I'm really only talking about the. I mean, come on, Kevin is in that discussion for best player in the league. And even yeah. despite his age and his health history, he's been a beast, you know, recently to the point where teams have just like his value is back to the peak again. Yeah. So that's why that was reflected in the Suns package. Um top of my head, the the types of players that we're talking about, you alluded earlier to the Chicago situation. You know, Zach Levine, um, DeMar DeRozan, you know, those are two guys that teams are absolutely looking at now Mm. you know what i find interesting about that situation because as you and i both know like you you always have this agency influence within the nba you know dame being represented by aaron goodwin and and goodwin sports damar is a goodwin client um you know and i'm not connecting any more dots other than that but that's worth noting um zach levine is a is a clutch client rich paul um you know and, and zach is the one you know, I think to a lesser degree tomorrow where people have just been assuming like it's not going to be that long until they want to do something different. 
Mm-hmm. Now, I, and I don't think Patrick Beverly is going to be the uh, the X factor out there to turn things around. How dare you? <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, if you want to throw a couple other names in in the hat, I'm willing to, to kind of analyze those too. But, you know, those guys come to mind. I think Zach, you know, I mean, yeah, I think that gets you in the conversation for Zach, especially because he is to some degree, I think, a distressed asset. And I hate mm-hmm talking about human beings that way, but in negotiating terms, um, if we got to that point and that's, you know, who they were going after and nothing changes with this bulls kind of landscape, Mm -hmm. then I could see that for sure. Getting you in the conversation. I feel like you said blandscape, which is uh, an excellent excellent portmanteau. (laughs) Um, so my first thought there is Zach Levine as a fit next to Damien feels, um, not ideal. DeRozan's more interesting to me as a player, um, but on his own, probably not pushing you over into that next that next tier. But he also is probably going to cost less. Um, but so then you're not giving the whole, you know, the whole, you know, the whole the whole gamut. King Caboodle. Yeah. Um, so I've had conversations and asked people what who the next All Star caliber player who you know asks out or is on the move is. Um, you know, Carl Towns comes up depending on what happens with. Minnesota and with with the Rudy Gobert situation, um, I'm, I'm just going to run through these, and you tell me if any of these moved sure. moved anything for you. Uh, Pascal Siakam always comes up, um, and I and I think that when we talk about the Blazers, people automatically think big because what we haven't really ever seen with Dame is that like you know not even dominant, but that really like springy rim protector roller who can um, really wreak havoc at the rim. I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge was an all-star big, but just played differently. Um, and that was so early in Damian's career. Um, you know, so people think big. Um, I also think that they're, they have some real, some serious interest in, you know, a, I mean, like who doesn't a Mikhail Bridges type player. I mean, the Blazers were one of the 29 teams to call the nets about Mikhail Bridges after that deal with, with Kevin Durant. Um, they've long been linked to OG Ananobi, who, yep. you know, is, I mean, would be a great fit for them. But again, what are you giving up? And then what do you have left to go make other moves? Because, you know, as a, as a, as a three headed monster or a big three, if your big three is Damian Lillard, OG Ananobi and Jeremy Grant, you know, you're, you're versatile. You've got some, you've got, you're, you're kind of interesting, but you're not, you're not beating the, you know, the, the Phoenixes of the world or the Dallas's right. or, or Denver. Um, and so, you know, to me, it's like the Blazers have to be thinking like, how do we get that type of talent? Like, yeah, you love OG Ananobi as your third or fourth option on a, like a championship team. And I, maybe I'm underselling right. him a little bit, um, but it's just hard. It's hard for your next move to be a third option type guy. No, I agree. Um, and that's where, you know, some of the names you mentioned, they're, they're in different tiers. So OG, just to give quick context, you know, and this was reported uh, by Michael Grange of Sportsnet a while back, and it's accurate that the, the Raptors had three firsts on the table for OG. Now, so all that tells you is that three firsts was not enough for them to, to make that move. Um, and, you know, I think this summer they, they're going to go in, the Raptors will, you know, having more knowledge about their market. And so OG probably costs you a little more than that. And and to your point, then you're almost out of assets at that point. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the group that you have. He's a tricky one because defensively, which has obviously long been a, a weak spot for the Blazers, you're talking about a guy that can guard five positions and, you know, and, and I think at his best could be a defensive player of the year candidate. And, you know, that is absolutely something that could kind of lift up the Blazers floor. 
Um, the towns one, you know, you want to talk about just the, the big idea, you know, I know that this league is full of, of Carl Anthony towns critics, you know, myself being one of them, but you know, like, I mean, is that, that would be somewhat imposing. That would be, I think dynamic. And you wonder from a leadership standpoint, could Dame, I mean, I do think extremely highly of, of him as a leader and I like, could Dame find a way to take Carl into a new chapter? Um, and then pull out the, the best basketball that he has to offer. Uh, I can see that because in Minnesota, you know, it is pretty wild how they obviously pushed all their chips in for Rudy Gobert to yeah. go get a guy who plays Carl's position. And, and we're going to see when he eventually comes back, you know, if it doesn't go well between Carl and Rudy and the rest of the group, especially because they've been playing a little better of late, you know, who knows what happens there. Um, so part of me kind of likes that idea. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, you're in the conversation, but you know, I do not have the vision or the blueprint or the plan to to take the Blazers into elite contention. I I just I'm not seeing that pathway, and that's the problem. And that's why when you talk to so many people around the league, and you talk to way more league people than I do, but even the, the conversations I've had, you know, so many of them start with, "Well, you got to trade Dame." Like if you want, if you're serious about winning, you got to trade Damian, and you know that gets. That gets really complicated. It gets really personal for the fan base. It gets into a whole right. lot of stuff. And so what I always tell when I talk to like executives or scouts and I say, hey, how do you fix the Blazers? And then I say, you know, hey, you're the GM of the Blazers, but you can't trade Damian Lillard. If you trade Damian Lillard, you're going to get dropped into a snake pit and fed to tigers. Like it's just it's not allowed. And and so then it gets well, you know, you kind of operate with what you have. But like in terms of like, you know, the way the NBA is run, like it is a lot harder to get there when you've got a guy who you know, makes is going to be making $60 million, you know, who is, you know, not, not a defensive player and not getting younger and doesn't give you the kind of runway to build around. Like you're, like you're talking about, you can't wait for Shaden Sharp to develop unless he's going to be like a year two all-star. And I think people are really high on Shaden Sharp, but I mean, I think the roller coaster of his rookie season has not left many people thinking that it's going to be that quick for him. So um, you're in good company on saying there's no, clear path it's not like oh you've got these assets then you just trade them all for you know player x and it's fixed it's not that easy i do wonder with toronto and og ananobi you know do they how do they how do they view anthony simons you know what does anthony simons do for them relative to three draft three first round picks could you trade anthony simons and two first round picks they view him highly enough and you know i think the blazers view Anthony Simons really highly. I know they do. And I've, you know, had conversations where they talk about him as a, you know, a future all-star player. And you talk to other people and they're like, yeah, he's a six man on a really good team. And so it's like, you know, if you're over, if you're valuing your guy, you know, that highly and other teams aren't seeing him like that, you're gonna have a hard time coming to it, coming, making a move that you feel good about. Although, and this is not about Anthony Simons. One thing Joe Cronin said after the trade deadline, which I do want to talk to you about, um, I thought was really interesting and really telling about his strategy because I think he was feeling some of the heat that the Blazers hadn't gotten more done at the trade deadline. And I thought he came out really aggressive in his press conference. And one of the things he said, in addition to nobody wants this for Damian more than us, nobody wants to win with Damian more than us, you know, we are not leaving any stone unturned sort of things. But he said, you know, we will push our chips in. And when we do, some people might think that we made a bad deal or that we gave up too much. But that's how aggressive we're willing to be to make this happen for Damian. But then in that same conversation, he said they had an offer, they had a deal on the table that they decided not to go through with because it cost too much. So I mean, not the right player, and that's okay. But you know, but the but the idea that like they are willing to overpay and even, you know, 
obviously overpay to get the right player, uh, whoever that is, uh, is going to be is really interesting. It will be an interesting sort of um, be it's a sort of an interesting uh, barometer to hold on to for when the time does come. And we can look at that and say, is that what he was talking about? Did he you know, did he do what he said that they were perhaps going to do? It will be really interesting. For sure. And as you know, though, part of that to me, as far as Joe's messaging is, and this is what executives have to do, is the last thing you can afford to have happen is for your franchise centerpiece player to think that you're not willing to be aggressive, not willing Mm -hmm. to put your chips in, and that maybe you're trying to you know, be protective of future assets. And you can probably already guess where my mind's going. It's very LeBron-esque with the Mm -hmm. Lakers. You know, Rob Palenka at the beginning of the year, media day, he just wastes no time publicly stating that we will put those two first rounders on the table, 2027, 2029, you know, if it means we can, you know, have a team around LeBron that can contend for a title. So Joe is, is managing those politics. And then, like you said, you, you can't really judge his statement until you know who the player is. I do wonder, like you made a really valid point because the Raptors have become like this headquarters of you know seemingly gettable players even though they're not to this mm-hmm. point uh and, and really good players like it would be helpful to know how they saw some of the blazers talent and if you just talk about fit you know we analyze the towns thing a little bit um for my money i, I probably would go with the siakam pairing uh, mm-hmm. i think that pascal with dame and jeremy it's not you know this is not the heatles you're not you know reenacting lebron and d wade and chris bosh by any means but like Pascal is incredibly dynamic and is having the best year of his career right now. I think fit wise, he would be a great fit with Dame and Jeremy is dynamic and, and only getting better. Then it would become a case of like, can you form not to be so Lakers centric? I think every time I see your face, I just think Lakers, but like 2020 bubble Lakers champions, right? Like, like depth and strong defensive players you know, some playmakers to not have the ball in LeBron's hands all the time, just like with Dame. Like, you know, Dame, Jeremy, Pascal with the right role players could be pretty, pretty good. And, the, and then you wonder, you have to wonder if, you know, the, the guys they got at the trade deadline could and could eventually be the, that could be those guys. I mean, Matisse Thibel, you know, is a you know second team all NBA player, um, one of the best perimeter uh, defenders in the league. Cam Reddish is an, is sort of a, a a, either a diamond in the rough or a lump of coal. We don't really, we don't really know. Um, yeah. You know, but is you know, I, th- I thought it was an interesting project. And I, and Sam, I'm coming to you with this, knowing very well that you, um, you know, you're looking at this from very macro level, and you're not digging in on each, on each, on each things as specifically as, as we are here. But there was a lot of, um, I think, angst with the Blazers fan base when it comes to, uh, you know, the fact that the Blazers didn't get anything done and they traded Josh Hart, you know, they kind of sold Josh Hart off for, you know, a first round pick and Cam Reddish, you know, Gary Payton, the second had been there, you know, big, big um, free agent signing. And then they just, you know, traded him for five seconds. I think that's a fraught situation that we can or cannot get into, but that they didn't do more. And I came down on it much more positively. And it was one of those things where like, I wrote what I wrote, my little thoughts. And then I saw like how angry everyone else was. And I'm like, am I just you know, out to lunch on this because I was like, it felt like sound team building strategy. You know, you've got the issue with the first round picks tied up with Chicago. You, um, you have the, you know, Josh Hart was probably going to leave as a free agent. You get an asset for him, you know, you get a pick and you get a player who you can develop and see if you want to resign as a restricted free agent. They valued Matisse Thibel really highly. They got him for, 
you know, essentially a song. And then, you know, Gary Payton wasn't really moving the needle for them. And kind of sounds like he wasn't that happy. Like I viewed it as a positive trade deadline. And I think I'm like the one person in Portland. So um, I'm just curious, like when you kind of look at, at that whole thing, you know, should the Blazers be criticized for their trade deadline? Or is it just a case of, you know, fans want it all and they want it right now? Yeah, I think it's the latter. And I, you know, in an attempt to make them feel a little bit better, would remind people, and I'm I'm stealing this insight from a, a GM who I talked to recently, which is the general idea that, you know, work that gets done at the trade deadline, for one, it, it very rarely takes a team that is good into contender status. There's only been a couple of trades where that happened. But even more broadly speaking, from a processes standpoint, which I've always hated the way people pronounce that, but you know what I mean? Like the minutia of the job and how best to attack mm-hmm. team building and roster building is that the trade deadline is chaotic at the end and rushed and hurried. And you have less data points with which to work. Um, and it's just generally more fraught with risk. Um, and there's a lot of executives who believe that, you know, especially when you have like, I mean, even with Dame's age and the urgency to get something done, nobody expected them to, to be, you know, a dangerous team in these playoffs. Right. So like the urgency at this deadline is for all intents and purposes, irrelevant. Like there's nothing that they could have done at this deadline, most likely, or very little that they couldn't revisit in the summer. And a lot of times that's the stuff that fans and media unfortunately are not privy to. I guarantee you that Joe had all kinds of conversations, you know, during the trade deadline season that informed him about where teams were and and dialogues and conversations that he will pick up again in the summer. It a lot of times Mm -hmm. becomes a building block to the off season when, you know, the players are gone, you get a little bit of peace and quiet in your office with your group, you know, your front office group and ownership, like to really dig in and really critically think about what the right decisions are going to be as opposed to juggling it with games and travel schedules and chaos. And so, I mean, a a general commentary, you know, remember that part, because unless you thought the the Blazers were going to just, you know, vault in the standings with some magical move right now, then, you know, there's nothing to worry about, I don't think. Well, and I mean, like Kevin Durant, right? Like if, if the Blazers had the assets to go acquire Kevin Durant, you know, you also would have to contend with the fact that even though Kevin Durant's under contract and Brooklyn could have traded him anywhere, anywhere he wanted, they, they wanted to send him, you know, for the best package. Um, one, the Blazers package wasn't as good as Phoenix's, couldn't have been. And two, you know, my sense of it was that, you know, Brooklyn didn't really engage outside of Phoenix, right? Like, I mean, that's Correct. kind of, it was stated that's where he wanted to go and, yeah, the days of especially a star of that caliber, like the days of of you not paying any mind to where the player wants to go are mm-hmm. are mostly over. And like it shows you how much, you know, call it player empowerment or, or whatever you want to call it, how much juice Kevin had because yeah. that the negotiations were with Phoenix only. Yeah. Um so uh producer Andrew Thien is is listening in and, and making us sound good. And he is a Blazer super fan. I always like to preface it with that. Uh, he had a couple of questions here. And, and one that I think you could maybe hit quickly if you know um, is what the league thinks of Shaden Sharp. What is his value? What is his perception? And has he changed his perception from the draft when it was, you know, sort of this complete unknown? Um, has Is that a name you've heard in your conversations uh, around the league this year? 
I mean, you kind of hit on it earlier, you know, it was like some real flashes in the beginning. And, and I think, you know, the human component comes into play there where he did kind of jump on the radar mm-hmm. early and change the narrative to a degree quickly this season um, because everybody was so micro-focused on, all right, who is playing with Damian Lillard and are any of them any good, you know? Right. And so you saw these moments and I think, you know, yeah, his, his value had an uptick at that point. Um, but then you also countered it a bit by, you know, hinting at the fact that like, you know, he's, he's going to be imbalanced. He's going to be inconsistent. That's what you get with a very young player. And even if you go back to the draft, you know, I would say broad, you know, macro look at it. Uh, the Blazers have to be really happy because mm-hmm. when they took him, there was a little bit, I think you and I might've talked about it back then. There was a little sense that like that maybe even Damien would have been a little surprised by the pick because it was quote unquote a project, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and a guy that, you know, the, whose timeline or, or runway was going to be longer than, than, you know, he might've wanted it to be. So, um, no, I mean, good, good value. I don't, you know, that's not going to take a first off the table necessarily mm-hmm. in a trade package. Um, you know, but, but it's going to, you know, be of significant value and, and it depends on who you're talking to as well, right? Like if it's another team, that is in building mode and trying to get a young core in there and, and that's the direction they're going, then, you know, he could be a nice fit. So you just alluded to this. So it's perfect for uh, question number two from producer Andrew Thien, Blazer Superfan. Uh, Damien's 32 and we talk about it all the time. Oh, he's getting up there in years. No offense, Sam. Um, but, he, you know, <laughs> as I'm you said, he, I don't know what you're talking about. he's having, a you know, you know arguably a career year. Um, we've seen guards like Chris Paul and Stephen Curry really um, play, you know, seemingly, you know, the, the, the longevity has really been there. And I, I wonder if, I don't wonder, producer Andrew Theme Blazer Superfan wonders, if perhaps we are overvaluing Dame's <laughs> Is this age. a pejorative? Well, I feel like you're giving a pejorative with Blazer it, Superfan. Uh, if, it, if, if, if perhaps we make too big of a deal about Damien's age, given what we've seen from uh, from other guards, some of his, from some of his peers, and given how well Damien takes care of his body, as producer Andrew Thien, Blazer Superfan, says, he's not Iverson. Man, um, fair. I mean, he's coming off a very serious injury mm-hmm. that we cannot fairly and justly, you know, assign to age. But, you know, like that has to be said, like he has not been impervious to health obstacles um Mm -hmm. and and took you know that was a tough injury that took a long time to get back from you know he'll be 33 in the summertime and i'm a little torn on this because you know you see chris paul lead the Suns to the finals two years ago and absolutely just drinking from the fountain of youth and you feel like maybe we are wrong with some of these narratives you know Mm -hmm. And, and then you see chris fall off Mm-hmm. and really struggle earlier this season and you say ha ha we are right see age really does matter and then he flips it around and he's playing right. a little pretty you know so listen dame could be an elite player you know i don't know what age you want to put on it like he could do the lebron thing i mean if lebron's out there doing it dame works incredibly hard i know that for mm-hmm. a fact um you know so it's it's not uh you know it's not the urgency level wise the type of thing where you got a two-year window here necessarily but, you know, this is what comes into play for all these guys. You know, look at James Harden. He's going to be, I think he's 34 now, and he's going to be a free agent this summer. You know, a team like Philly's got to look at him like, all right, 
34 plus five year contract. You know, do we want to be paying 39 year old James Harden 60 something million dollars? You know, right. like that's and and the Blazers are already they're pot committed when it comes to Dame and and they've shown their willingness to do that. But that's a really long winded way of saying like. I hear you, but you know, age does matter, and and you know, he's he's on the, uh, the the wrong side of thirty. Sam, you've been covering the NBA for nearly twenty years. You started off as a beat writer for the Sacramento Kings for the Sacramento Bee. Your career has wended through some of the most prominent national outlets we have in the media landscape, bringing you to your uh, status as a senior NBA insider with the Athletic. My former colleague at the Athletic. What is one story in your storied history? covering the league that uh, you will never forget. <laughs> Just pick <laughs> one. Like a, this, the whole intro sounded like a roast. I was waiting for the punchline. Um, one, man, one story that I'll never forget. I don't know. I mean, should I just go stream of consciousness? Because I did. I, I don't I know why. Want, yeah, yeah, go ahead. You mostly want what? No, I just, I, I want, I want something funny. Uh, this is funny. Um, the Maloof brothers used to own the Kings. And when All-Star Weekend was in Las Vegas, you remember the kind of somewhat disastrous Las Vegas All-Star Weekend, the Maloofs were front and center and kind of like the unofficial hosts because they had the Palms Casino in Vegas. They were kind of the Vegas party boys um, at that time. And so they were in their element. Like that whole weekend was you know, like you have a big mansion and everybody's coming to party at your house. And oh, by the way, they did have a big mansion out in Henderson, Nevada and did throw a big old party that I might've gone to. Um, and during that weekend, my job was for the Sacramento Bee was to trail the Maloofs for a lot of the weekend and just write a colorful feature story on what it was like to be them. So that assignment, I think this was on all-star Saturday night takes me to their casino where they had a party and a club happening and everything. And and I'm a guy who grew up in the San Francisco Bay area was a huge uh, baseball fan, San Francisco giants fan. So when I look up in one of the VIP booths and I see Barry bonds hanging out, you know, that's kind of neat. That's kind of cool. And then I see a guy that I'm covering at the time, Ron Artest. Now that's, as you know, that's a little cringy because I don't like socializing with People, guys I cover. That's journalism 101. You try to keep things a little separate, but I'm like, all right, I'm here on an assignment. Uh, but the kicker and, and the memory that you made spark and come to mind for some reason was that all, in that VIP club and music and and booze and women and the whole nine and the Maloof brothers, uh, I look out on the dance floor and Ron Artest is, is kind of boogieing down a little bit. And the, the one and only Jim Gray, just, just not the person that I expected to see was on the dance floor uh showing off his best jim gray moves and and in fact he had taken uh, ron had some sort of like massive gold chain on him like really 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 almost comically big like you went and got it at walgreens as a spoof gift or something like for halloween like this massively big gold chain and jim says to ron you know, something along the lines of like, all right, let me try that thing on. And Ron like kind of bestows this massive gold chain and, and puts it on Jim who proceeds to just keep boogieing down with a whole <laughs> lot of gold hanging from his, his neck. And I'm just kind of sitting there going, man, this job is something like, what, what am I doing? <laughs> so there's been a lot of that, but that was kind of a, a random one. 
Well, cool. Well, Sam, we could, um, <laughs> Jim Gray of the decision fame, uh, we yes. could probably spend an entire episode of Sports by Northwest presented by the Oregonian and Oregon Live on your career and stories from from life covering the Kings and on the road and your memories of, of Blazers teams gone by. But I say we save those for next time. We reconvene in the summer when we have a better sense of what, uh, what Joe Cronin pushing his chips all in looks like. And until then, I'd like to thank you for uh, coming on Sports by Northwest. Thanks, buddy. Of course. Thanks for having me.